Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Well, hey, if you're here for the first week of our playlist series, we want to give you a very warm welcome. If you're new to Believer's Church, my name's Joe Jr. We're excited that you're here. You picked a perfect week to come to church because we're in the fourth and final week of a series where we're taking songs from pop culture and we're kind of using them to frame the conversation and launch into our topic all about relationships. And uh, did y'all enjoy Joe McGee last week? Wasn't that incredible? So good. Every service, I listened to him all three times, and every service, by the minute, I felt like I was being challenged and encouraged to be a better dad and a better husband. And uh, it's very strategic what we've covered. We really asked God, what are the different kinds of relationships that our church in particular, that we want to focus on heading forward? And uh, that was very strategic that he was here. This week is no exception. And I want to ask you a question. You, You ever been in love before? Like, like I'm looking around the room and I'm seeing some lovebirds in the house. I'm seeing some people that are sitting next to their significant other. And at one point, you fell for them, right? Like, you fell hard. I mean, we'll, we'll do some stupid things for love, won't we? There, there's a book called Cupidity, and uh, it doesn't take a lot to figure out what that's all about. It's the stupid things people will do for love. Uh, if you're anything like me, you'll do some crazy stuff. You, you'll, you'll act a fool. You'll look ridiculous for love. I'll give you one thing that happens in my life all the time with my, my beautiful wife, Erin, sitting here in the front row. She has this, you can't even call it a purse. I, I call it like a tote bag. You know, it's like if you're going to travel on an airline, you're paying an extra $50 to get this thing on the plane, you know? It's got everything. I'm convinced we could survive for an entire year on a desert island with everything that is in that purse. There's a flotation device in there somewhere. I'm just, I'm saying, I'm just saying. But listen, here's our, our conversation we have every time we go to a mall. Every time we go to a mall, we're about to get out of the car, and I look over her, and I say, I love you, and I'm seeing that purse And it's so full, and I'm thinking, why don't we jettison some of that cargo so it's a little bit easier for you to kind of walk through the mall today? And and here's what she always says. She says, well, listen, you don't understand because everything in here is in here for a reason. There is nothing in here that I do not need. And, And here's the only reason I'm even trying to say anything because I know that inevitably we will be walking through the mall and all of a sudden her shoulder will start to sag a little bit and she'll start to kind of get this look on her eyes and then... I'll look over here, and before I can stop the words from coming out of my mouth, I'll say, baby, can I carry that for you? Oh, dear Jesus. And for the love of my wife, I will look like a fool walking through the mall because there is no manly way to carry a purse. I don't care who you are. You could be six foot five. You could be Hulk Hogan. You cannot carry a purse in a manly way. We'll do a lot of stupid things for, our, for the people we love. But let me ask you this. Like, would you do anything? I mean, like, anything? Y'all having fun? It seems like you're having fun. Church can be fun. So we're glad that you're here. And uh, listen, this is the final week in the playlist series, although we are saddened to see it go. We're excited that Pastor Joe will be back next week, and you don't want to miss life with the Holy Spirit. We can, yeah, we can thank God. Thank you so much for praying for them. They're, they're really enjoying themselves. They're actually with uh, our oldest son today at the Lion King in Cleveland. And so uh, they're going to have a great time up there. He's never seen it before in person, so it's going to be really good. He's actually never seen the movie because we don't want to tell him that Mufasa, you know, we don't want to break it to him. So hopefully this won't burst his bubble too bad and shatter his universe. Pray for him. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but listen, this is a perfect song to launch us into our conversation 
because we really will do some crazy things for love. I have an Uncle Jim, not the one that works here, uh, my Uncle Jim that is married to my mom's youngest sister. And when he first met my aunt, Aunt Michelle, he was like head over heels in love with this woman. But she wasn't so much with him, okay? And so they had met through a mutual friend, and the sparks hadn't uh, flown as much as he had hoped for. And so here's, he got this brilliant idea. He lived in Texas. She lived in Illinois. He thought, you know what? I have the perfect idea. I'm going to call her and say, hey, it just so happens that I have a business meeting that's happening in Chicago on a Friday, and I don't know what you're doing on Saturday, but I would love to get together with you on Saturday. And here's just the one hitch in the plans. There was no business meeting, okay? And so it's always great to build your relationship on a lie. Start off with a, with a lie, get you right out of the gate on the right foot. And so here's what started to happen. He, he had this brilliant plan because back then, this is over 15 years ago, Travelocity didn't exist. And so he found this amazing deal on a ticket to the O'Hare airport, and it was in the classified sections of the paper. And so he had this all orchestrated where the day of the flight, he was going to meet up with this guy, head to the airport with this great ticket, fly there, sweep her off of her feet, and the rest would be history. One wrinkle in the plans, though, he goes to the meeting spot that they agreed on, waits a few minutes, waits an hour, nobody shows. And at this point, he's going to be late for the flight that he hopes there's even a ticket for. He gets to the airport at Dallas-Fort Worth. There are no flights available anymore, all taken. And here's, here's what happens. He has to take the red eye to Chicago because he can't cancel and say, I got to do it another week because he's already told her on the phone, yeah, I'm here in Chicago. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Lies never work out really well. And, and so listen, here's the only ticket he could get. It was $1,200 to fly. This is like in 1995. Can you imagine what that would be today? But for the love of his future wife, Michelle, he did it. And uh, I wouldn't recommend starting your relationship out on a lie, but four kids and 14 years of marriage later, they're together. So uh, it worked out for the love of my Aunt Michelle. My Uncle Jim paid the price. Now, now I have another Uncle Jim and his, his wife, Judy. They're both on staff here, been here since the very beginning. She is like... Honest to God, the sweetest person you will ever meet. She is a servant, and she looks for ways to serve people. And the going joke in our house, this is going to sound so mean and heartless, but just hear me out. We're a sarcastic family. The going joke in our house is that Aunt Judy loves her kids more than my mom loves us, okay? Now, that sounds horrible. Don't judge us, okay? You have your weird things you do in your family, too. But listen, here, this set it over the top. This one time, my cousin Tim and his friend were going to go to Cedar Point. My Aunt Judy's driving through the Giant Eagle parking lot. And she sees one of those blood drive trucks. And she, the sweet lady that she is, gets this idea that I will give of my lifeblood, the very thing that keeps me alive, I will, I will give it out of my arm so that my son, and not like my daughter, but like my son and his friend, they can go to Cedar Point absolutely free. And when we got a hold of this information, it was over in our house. We were like, Mom, are you kidding me? Aunt Judy gives her blood for her kids to go to Cedar Point. You don't love us at all. And listen, <laughs> that's wrong, I know. But, but listen, here's, I remember the conversation. My mom said, look, I, I love you guys. I'd do just about anything for love, but I won't do that. I won't do that. And listen, the reason I share that is because I think in some of our relationships with God, in particular our relationship with the church, we can do the very same thing. We can have these conversations with God. God, I love you. 
oh, thank you for Jesus. I'm so thankful for everything you've done. I'd do anything for you. You did anything for me. But God, like, here's the thing. I'd do just about anything. I'm cool with you. I'm cool with Jesus. But this thing called the church, let me break it down for you, God, because, like, you see, uh, the only time I've ever had my heart broken in the church, uh, I've been gossiped about. The hypocrites in the church, you wouldn't believe it. God, like you just don't understand. I don't think it's worth it for me to invest my life in the church. I'm cool with you. I'll watch you on TV. I'll have a relationship with you. I'll have a Christian bumper sticker on my car. But beyond that, God, I'm just not so sure about this thing called the church. And listen, I just want to, from the onset in this message, I want to say this. Sometimes, this is for me, just personally, the things that I least want to hear are the things that I most need to hear. And I've been praying for this message for a while. I I feel like I have something that God wants to speak to this group of people. If you're watching on TV, if you're listening on a podcast, I think this is a word for you. And I want to give you permission. This is not a shout-me-down message. I might not get a lot of amens. And I just want to let you know that's okay. I'm not insecure. Sometimes, in my opinion, a quiet audience is a thinking audience. And God's working on the inside doing something that you would never even realize. And so I just want to give you permission. And I want to start out, I don't do this all the time. I want to start out with a prayer because if all of us can make this decision that we're going to position our hearts in a place where God can speak to us, I believe we will leave here different people. Can we just bow our heads and put our focus on God? Lord, I thank you so much for every single person here. Thank you for the new people. Thank you for people that are brand new to God and brand new to church. Thank you for the people that are visiting today. We're so honored that they're here. Thank you for the people that have been here for decades and everyone in between. We ask you that today, through your words, you would challenge us and inspire us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, here's what I thought we could do today. If, if that's you, if maybe you're watching on TV or maybe you're watching online uh, and, and you're like, man, I just don't buy into the church. I want to talk to you. And for everybody that's in the audience, this is kind of funny, right? Because this is kind of like me talking to a skinny person about overeating. It's like, I'm in the church, Joe. I, I get it. But listen, listen, I believe that this is going to help each of us move to a new place in God. And I thought what we could do is start at the very beginning. Not Genesis. We're going to fast forward a little bit to the beginning of the church. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. You can go with me if you'd like. This is Matthew chapter 16. And let me set the stage for you. This is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, and he's got a ragtag group of about 12 guys, 12 Jewish boys. We'll call them the dirty dozen. They're, they're, they're not exactly who everybody would have been looking for to line up to choose their leadership team, but it's who God has chosen, and they're overlooking this city. It's called Caesarea Philippi, and let me impress you with my Bible knowledge. You know what Caesarea Philippi literally translates to? The region of Caesar Philip. Wasn't that impressive? Thank you. You're welcome, and uh, so listen, now you can tell your friends that, Um, but Caesarea Philippi, let me just fill you in on this place, because this wasn't just any city. It was very intentional that Jesus was there, and he chose to launch his ministry out of this specific spot. First of all, This place would put Las Vegas to shame. Uh, We call Las Vegas Sin City in our culture. Las Vegas ain't got nothing on Caesarea Philippi. Let me just paint the picture for you. There's this massive city that all centers around this massive temple. I mean, this is a mega temple. And at any given time, there are over a thousand priests and priestesses, and they are all there to worship the god Pan. If you're not familiar with Pan, you can, you probably know him from Greek mythology. He's half goat, half man, plays the flute. That's Pan. And listen, here's how they would worship Pan. You think our culture is corrupt? You think our culture is far from God? You ain't heard nothing yet. Here's how they would worship him. Their priests and their priestesses, every day, 
all day, they would offer their bodies as sacrifices and they would exchange relations with people sexually to worship their God, Pan. And at the risk of sounding a little bit crass, I just want to tell you that this was also happening. In that very same temple, there was bestiality happening in honor of the goat God. They were exchanging relations with goats. And so I just want to let you know there's nothing new under the sun. There is nothing in our culture that we're seeing that hasn't been around for thousands of years. But I also want you to know it is no coincidence that Jesus is on the landscape of Caesarea Philippi because a good Jewish boy, they're not coming within a mile of this city. And here is the rabbi Jesus of this upstart ministry called the church. And he brings his leadership team there to give them a pep talk. All right. So that's where they are. And here's what he says. He, he asked them a really simple question. He says, who do people say I am? And the disciples play along. They're like, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elijah reborn. Some people say Jeremiah. And almost as if to stop them, he says, no, 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 no. Okay, I know what other people say, but who do you say I am? And I love Peter because I'm Peter, I swear. Everything I say, I talk faster than I think. I get myself in trouble with my mouth. That's what I have to work on. But I love Peter because in this moment he gets it right. And here's what Peter says. Well, he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as they overlook this city that is far from God, and I can promise you that shades of gray are happening in this culture, they would tell you there is no absolute truth and there is no one way. And your way is cool for you, but don't push it on me because I have my way. And there are all sorts of ways to God and all sorts of ways to heaven. And Jesus chooses that very spot. And he's waiting for Peter to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as they overlook this city where they worship a God that they created with their own hands, Peter says, no, 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 we worship the God that created us with his own hands. And there's this moment where Jesus says, hey, Simon, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, you're not buying into all the rumors you've heard. You have a revelation of who God is and blessed are you. Then he goes on to make one of the most iconic statements you will ever hear in the entire scripture. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he says this incredible thing. He says, and I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when we pray, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are the answer to our prayer because we don't just go to church, but we are the church. And here's what you can draw out of this passage. A few things. One, if Jesus is building the church, Jesus is for the church, and Jesus loves the church. And if the church is advancing on the gates of hell, I can promise you one thing. Satan hates the church. Satan doesn't like the church at all, and you're a part of it, and Satan doesn't like you. He's an enemy of the church. And consequently, let me just make this statement. It sounds strong, but it's so true. Because Jesus is building the church, you cannot be outside of the church and inside of the will of God. Because Jesus is advancing the church and Jesus loves the church and he died for the church, you cannot be outside of the church and inside of the will of God. And here's what I would love to do this morning. I would love to just take a look at three different perspectives we can have when it comes to this thing called the church. And I want you to ask yourself, honestly, just have a conversation with yourself this morning who am I? Which of these categories do I fall under? And then let's ask ourselves how we can align ourselves with what God has to say about the church. Because would you all agree that it would be a shame and it would be devastating to one day stand before our maker and Jesus says, you know, I built the church and the gates of hell couldn't prevail against it. Were you building it with me? 
And as a pastor, Pastor Joe and Gina, they'll have to answer one day for how well they equipped and they challenged and they encouraged their people to do that very thing. And what, I would, what would break my heart is to watch on Judgment Day as people from Believer's Church said, I didn't know you were building the church and therefore did nothing about it. Now here's the first, here's the first person. It's this person called a drifter. Now in our culture, drifters, they're kind of cool, right? They're free spirits. They've got no place to rest their heads. They're kind of the Christian couch surfers, you know? You, you never know exactly where you're going to have them. They say, I have no home and I need no home. And, and here's, here's what I've noticed. Drifters, they, they miss out on a lot. They really do. I just want to read to you a couple of things that the Bible tells us about our relationship with this thing called the church and what happens if we begin to drift away from it. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is Paul right after the church has gotten its start, and he's talking to pastors. I want you to listen to what he says to the pastors in the church. So guard yourselves and God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. Aren't you glad that Jesus purchased the church with his own blood? Isn't it good to know that if he died for the church, we ought to be able to live for the church? Isn't that cool? Now, now I think this is really important. You see this terminology all throughout scripture. Pastor is taken from the word pasture. That's the origin of the word. So in other words, a pastor is shepherding the flock of God. If you go to 1 Peter 5, 2 with me, listen to this, read it along. Care for the flock, same terminology that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly. I think this is a beautiful picture because when we hear that a pastor is to watch over the flock, that gives you this picture that they are looking at the flock and the church of God from a higher vantage point than others in the church would be. And when you're at 3,000 feet, you see things ahead of people that they can't see ahead of them. And it's so important that we can realize that, hey, God has placed me in a church with a spiritual dad and mom that can see way out in front of me in a way that I never could on my own. Let's read on. This is really important. This is where it gets really good. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. So many people are drifting from one church to another, from one vision to another, or they've never find a home, period. And you know what they miss out on? They miss out on a parent who's assigned to their care. Now, there are many people that come from a church where they told you you, that's the only church you're ever going to attend for the rest of your life, and if you leave this church, you're out of the will of God. And I think God saw far enough ahead to know that there are going to be shifts in assignments, right? There are going to be seasons where I'm in this church and I'm assigned to the care of this person and this pastor, and there will be seasons when I might have to move across the country for a job or God repositions me or whatever it might be, and I'm assigned to a different pastor. But isn't it good to know that we're assigned to the care of someone? Now, here's, here's a scripture. I read this all the time to new members. It's powerful. Psalms 92, 12. What happens when we choose to plant, when we choose to pick somewhere? The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Verse 13, I love this terminology. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. And so this is telling us something, that there will never be any flourishing if we're not first planted. There is no tree in existence that produces fruit before it gets roots, right? We've got to grow down before we can grow up. God designed it that way. Now, I brought a picture of a plant that I think most of us would be familiar with, but if you're like me, you didn't know the full story behind this plant. It's called the Chinese bamboo plant. Now, here's what's unique about this plant. It's the same in a lot of ways. It's got this tiny little seed that has all the potential in the world. 
and you find good soil, and you find a place that has great exposure to sunlight and to water, and you plant it in that soil. But here's the difference. You begin to go and water that seed in the soil day after day after day, and you know what? A year goes by, you don't see anything sprout. And another year goes by, you're not seeing anything. One more year goes by, you're still watering. Can you imagine just waking up every morning, you got your flower pot, you're going to the same spot. Sometimes you're like, did I plant it here or did I plant it over there? I can't remember where I planted it. And I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud, okay, there's probably a neighbor watching, you know, and uh, the nosy neighbor and, uh, oh, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Oh, hey, Bob, doing really good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, what you doing? Oh, you see, I, I, I planted this Chinese bamboo plant. It's going to grow. It's going to be really big. It's going to grow up to like 70, 80 feet tall. No big deal. Okay, um, I was just wondering because I see you coming out here every day, and I see you watering the same spot, but nothing's happening. I was just curious what you were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. I, I should have explained it to you. I'm going to water this every day for like five years, and then one day it's going to sprout. Okay, see you later, neighbor. Can you imagine? But finally, finally, right around the fifth year, right around that mark, you wake up one morning and you go to water that same spot. And not only did it sprout out of the ground, it's two feet out of the ground. And then a few weeks pass by and it's 10 feet out of the ground. And then six weeks pass by and it's 80 and 90 feet out of the ground. And someone that just showed up and saw what what the growth was, you know what they might say? Wow, I didn't know that Chinese bamboo plants grew to 80 feet in six weeks. And you know what you'd have to do? You'd do it nice, but you'd stop and you'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. Listen, uh, <laughs> I know you see this and I know it looks really impressive, but let me tell you something. This didn't grow 80 feet in six weeks. This grew 80 feet in five years. And I'm just wondering if there are some people that have decided to plant themselves in the soil of the church and they're going back to the same spot every day and their neighbors and their friends and their family are watching them and they're saying, what are you doing? Are you watering that seed? Nothing's happening. And I'm just wondering if there are some people that just need to hear, you gotta hold on because every day when you're watering in that same spot in the soil of the church, God is building something. And you might not see it spring up out of the ground yet, but there are roots down there so that when it springs up and when the storms of life come and when the winds blow, you're not going anywhere because you have the firm foundation that is the church of Jesus Christ. And so this is my prayer that we would have a church full of people who are committed to the process of staying rooted in the soil. Because listen, the soil of the church is what cultivates your calling. There's something that's happening every time you bring your kids here and you plant them in the soil of the church that can't happen anywhere else. Anywhere else. I'm so thankful that my parents dragged my rebellious butt to church a few times when I was a kid and I didn't want. But you know what's so cool? We are in a church where Man, I loved coming to church. Half the time, I had my parents going all over town doing things in student group, and they were so thankful that I was dragging them there anyways during the middle of the week. And it's all because they taught me that when you're rooted in the soil, even if you can't see it at first, God's doing something beneath the surface, and it's gonna build something for a lifetime. I, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for some people to just get a hold of that because I believe that there are some people here that here, here's what can happen. Can you all agree that even if there's good soil over here, if we uprooted that plant and we walked over to some other good soil, some other church that's great and God's doing great things there, and one week we plant it there and we water it with some good water, we get some good word, but then we uprooted and then 
Two weeks later, we come over to this other really great church. Great church. They're preaching all the same things. They have a different vision, though. You plant it in that soil. Can you, can you imagine after a while that plant growing at all? No way, because the roots would never develop, and there would never be any fruit. And I believe that ultimately, here's what drifting does. It leads to death. Because if you ever look at the local news, the only time you really ever hear about a drifter or someone who's homeless is after they've died and no one can identify the body. You know, it's so sad, but you see their people, their, their families have no clue where they've been for years. And then, you know what they have to do? They have to pull their dental records to even identify who they are. There is something about being in a family and saying, this is my home. This is my soil. And when I'm not here, somebody misses me. And there's just something about knowing that a pastor knows my name. And there are people in this body and in my connect group that they know my junk. And they know all the areas I'm working on. And I know them, but they love me unconditionally. And I'm going to stay planted here and watch what God can do. That's the first one. It's, it's a drifter. Now, here's the second one. This is a big one. This, this is some, someone called a consumer. A consumer. Now, I'll just, I'll just tell you what I, I see happening from time to time because I've been in the church my whole life. I work with a lot of new members. I work with people that are in and out of the church. And I want to qualify this statement by saying, if you're here and you're checking out a church and you've been checking out some other churches and that's the season God has you in and you're looking for transition, that's understandable and you should do that. But, but here's what I've noticed. There, there are some people that look at the church, capital C, the global church, as kind of like the believer's buffet. Okay? So I'll just, let me, let me show you what, what I mean. Believer's Buffet, they've got their tray and they come to Believer's Church. Oh, Pastor Joe, the way you preach the message, the way you talk, it makes me feel so good. I love you, Pastor Joe, and the teaching and the word is so good at Believer's Church. They come over here. The worship at this other church, you don't know. You don't understand. I mean, the worship at this church, the way that they sing the songs, the songs that they pick, it gives me goosebumps up and down my spine. Glory. I, it's just, I love mm. So then I moved down here and, oh, but you don't understand the children's ministry over here is so good. I love me some children's ministry. Their facilities are incredible. Give me some more of that children's ministry. I can't get enough. And here's what happens because this is what I struggle with all the time. All of us have a little bit of this in us because we're in a, we're in a culture of consumerism, right? Everything is packaged to meet our preference, uh, to, to cater to our comfort, and what we want in our convenience. And if we're not careful, we can begin to let that very same thing happen in this thing called the church. Let me read to you what Jesus did in a similar situation. This is an infamous verse, right? Um, if you don't understand it, this is the one you don't teach on. But listen, this is the moment where Jesus, he was aware of some things happening in the house of God, the church that he was not pleased with. And remember, be angry and sin not. This is a great scripture that goes hand in hand with that because Jesus, he knew that they were selling some things in the temple and they were turning it into a place that could be consumed. And so he fabricated a whip before he went into the temple and he went in there to wreak some havoc. And he didn't hit anybody, but man, he made a mess. You know, he turned some tables. He, he went Jesus on them, you know, and uh, he can because he's Jesus, right? But let's read this, John 2, 16. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here, exclamation point. We, we tend to read Jesus' words, the red letters, we tend to read them in the flowery English vernacular. Get these out of here. I love you. 
don't do that again. It's my horrible British accent. But listen, this is exclamation point. Get these out of here. Let's read on. Stop turning my father's house into a market. In other words, somewhere along the way, they lost their focus on God's presence because this was a place where they were to meet with God. And they, they reduced it and diminished it to a product that could be consumed. But let me make this statement to you. The church isn't a product to be consumed. Jesus wants us to be consumed with the church. Jesus wants us to be so consumed with the church. Let's read on here. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus in all of our lives wants to help us in America, in our culture, move from a consumer to someone who is consumed. Now, consumers talk a little bit different than someone that's consumed. A consumer says, this is all about my preference. Someone who's consumed says, this is all about your presence. This isn't about what I need or what I want or what tickles my fancy. God, this is about what you're doing in the world, and I'm partnering with you to expand your kingdom called the church. And can I, let's just press down on this for a minute. This is, this is funny. This is just how I heard it come to me. Here's what most of us are looking for when we come here. We don't want a message. We want a massage. We, we, want, we want us to do, oh, oh, Pastor Joe, I love it when you talk about eschatology. Oh, there it is right there. There it is right there. Ah, 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 ah. And if we're not careful, oh, Pastor Joe, give it to me. I like all of this. To, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking about tithing this week? All right, yeah, I'll see you next week. I'll, I'll be there next week. I love you, Pastor Joe. I don't love you that much. I'd do anything for love, but not, not that can I, I'm just be. I told you it wouldn't be an amen. It's all right. It's okay. I love you guys. But listen, here's what we can see. Let's look at the word message. This is how we all tend to see the word message. We, we tend to see me. We come to church and we, we, we say, God, I can't wait to hear a message. Oh, God, give me a massage, God. Oh, oh, Brandon. I, I love, here's, here's what can happen. If we're not careful, if we reduce this to consumerism, we can, we can find Brandon in the lobby. Hey, Brandon, that one song that you used to play, that song's anointed. Whenever you play that song, I feel the spirit here. And, and then we start, to, we, we start to put God in a box and say, God can only move this way through this song. And when I feel good and when I get goosebumps here, you know what maturity says? Oh, no, 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 I'm not here for the church to serve my needs and my wants. I'm not coming here to get a massage and make myself feel good and feel happy. I'm here to ask God to challenge me so I can get a message that I can take to my world and deliver it to them. There's something incredible that can happen when we do that. Now, here's the last one. The last one, I, I almost called it membership. But you know what? In our culture, that word's so convoluted. It's so, it, it, it's so diluted. I, I don't think I'm going to use that. I, I want to use the word ownership. God wants to take us from a member to an owner. Because members have rights, owners have responsibilities. Think about the difference between your house and a hotel. Uh, there are some things we will do in a hotel and to a hotel room and to the towels and to the shampoo that we would never do at our house. It's because we own it, right? So here's what I thought we could do. I, I thought we could just take a look at what ownership would look like. Because here's what I've noticed. Ownership, the, the words and the terminology, it changes from yours to mine. It changes from 
your church to my church. There's this ownership where we start to say, this is my house. This is my room. This is my pastor. And this is my vision. And so I thought what I could do real quick is just this, we're going to finish up our time today in this really cool story. Now listen, let me just tell you this. You will not see that we did not learn about this story on the felt board in children's church, okay? And it's for a good reason, all right? This is, this is Noah. He's had a rough moment, okay? Noah has just become the surviving, the sole surviving family in all of the world. They were so wicked that God had to wipe them out. God told Noah, warn people about it. Tell them to repent. Nobody wanted to. For 100 years, he built this ark. Nobody wanted to repent. And here he is. He's charged with repopulating the earth and then teaching them in the ways of God. Didn't work out so well before. So you can imagine there's a little bit of stress. So let's read, let's read what happens here. Genesis 9.20. Now Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard and when he drank some of its wine, let's just pause right there. Some of us come from denominations where they'll tell you that the wine in the Bible was non-alcoholic. I just want to point out this scripture to let you know I don't think that's the case, all right? You can make your own judgment, all right? Now, it's not a sin to drink. It's a sin to get drunk. We're not talking about that today, but I just want to point out what's happening here. So when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered, and this is important, inside his tent. Now, it would be one thing if the leader of this family and of what God is doing was outside roaming the streets and he's uncovered and he's making a fool of himself. This is a moment of vulnerability where he's exposed inside of his house. He's not expecting visitors. He's not being, you know, a weirdo. He's inside of his house. And listen, there are one of two ways we can respond when we see a leader uncovered and in a way we never thought we would. And let me just say this, there are going to be moments in every church, in every job, in every relationship where the people that are in authority over you, the people in leadership, the people in your family, you're going to see them in a light you thought you wouldn't. And you're going to realize that they too are human and they too can make some mistakes. Or here's what happens a lot of times, sometimes for a pastor, people just, they have this Wizard of Oz mentality and they think that he's the almighty wizard and then they pull back the curtain and there's something they didn't expect to see and it's just a man. And so we can start to get disenfranchised with the church because we've seen pastors let us down just for being human, not for sinning, but just being the human being that God created them to be. Here's the first way we can react. This is Ham. He's probably a little bitter because he was named Ham. I don't, I don't know, but Genesis 9.22. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. There are going to be some of us, and we probably know some people in our life, that when they see their leader or someone at work that's over them or their husband or their wife exposed or vulnerable and in a place they never thought they would, their gut response is going to be to go outside the tent and tell everybody. Here's what the other sons did. Genesis 9.23, But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backwards, and they covered their father's naked body. I want you to turn to somebody next to you. Just say, I got you covered. Just turn to him right now. Just say, I got you covered. Turn to the person over there. Just say, I got you covered too. If you're in a, a row alone, just say, I got you covered. <laughs> now listen, here's what happens all too often. We'll hear things like this preached and it's like, oh, well, you can't call a pastor into question. They're allowed to run wild and do whatever they want. I'm not talking about sweeping things under the carpet. Listen, this isn't a cover-up. This is pulling the covers up. This isn't, this isn't blindly allowing a leader to sin. This is seeing him in a vulnerable moment in position and saying, you know what? 
That's my dad. That's my mom. That's my brother. That's my sister. Listen, if there's somebody in the church that's new here and they came from a church where trash talk was allowed, you know what, what this is? This is saying, hey, I love you. Thanks for being here. We're so glad you're here. But I don't know if anybody told you, but we don't allow trash talk in our house. And listen, I might tell my parents some things honestly and in love, but I'm going to do it in love. And like, I can talk to my mama that way, but you can't talk to my mama that way. I can talk to my daddy that way. You can't talk to my daddy that way. There's, there's just something about saying, hey, I take ownership of my family here at Believer's Church. And you know what's so cool about? Then God blesses you and you have support and God helps you walk through life. Can you imagine if we created a church where everybody knew, man, I, I can't, I, I couldn't if I wanted to say something negative about somebody because it's going to get jumped on. We always swing the conversation back to a life-giving conversation. There's something cool about that. Now, speaking of ownership and even going back to consumerism, here's, here's something that was so perfect for this message. It happened just this week in, in our family, in our house. Inevitably, because I am a pastor, my wife and I are in ministry, we are raising pastor's kids. They're PKs. And I grew up a pastor's kid, and they're a funny breed. They see, they see things, and they say things that normal uh, people do not say, and it's their product of their environment. And here's what happened. My wife called me and told me about this when I was at work the other day, and we were both just laughing because this is exactly what I'm talking about. My son, he's building this fort, okay? And usually what that means is he's going to take every pillow known to man in the entire house, and he is going to make this structure that I wouldn't say is sound. I don't, you know, it's, it's not staying up there for very long. He gets blankets, you know, and it's usually got about room for one person, maybe two if, if it's tight. And this is his space. And inevitably, my son's four. You know what will happen? Our almost two-year-old daughter, Riley, she's so sweet. She's so cute. She wants in, Right? So she'll start to try to get in, and, and immediately Aaron's in the kitchen. She hears, no, Riley, no. And then Riley starts screaming, and she starts crying. And Joey will say, Mommy, she's trying to get into my space. This is my fort. When she gets in here, she makes a mess with my stuff. And, and here's, here's what he said. I, I kid you not. He's a pastor's kid. She tells him, well, Joey... Riley is two years old, and she doesn't understand what she's doing. And he's like, I know. She's never sorry for her sins. He's a PK. What can I tell you? <clears throat> that's normal talk in our house. But listen, that's the church. That's the church. How many of us set out in our membership with rights, <clears throat> in our consumerism, we say, this is my fortress, and I build it for me, and anybody that comes here and messes it up, they're out of here. And you know what? I think it's so powerful to understand that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And Believer's Church is a church that is built for unchurched people. And we are a church that is built for the people outside of the church. And even if they don't feel sorry for their sins, can I tell you why they don't? Because they don't even know it's sin yet. And you know what Pastor Joe and Pastor Gina dream of? Building a church where someone who's not even aware of their sin can experience the love and the acceptance of God in this place called the church, and it will actually motivate them to want to change on their own. I'm hungry for that. I want to see that happen. And I know it's happening. I want to, I want to see it happening on a whole new level. Now, listen, let's end with this. The last thing that we do is we start to say, hey, if members have rights, owners have responsibilities, where's my place? What can I do? Jesus was teaching in this moment, and uh, this, is a, this is a pretty cool moment in John. And here's, 
Here's what happens. He's talking and the disciples see him and they realize Jesus hasn't eaten anything all day. Jesus has been preaching from one service to the next. He hasn't had an opportunity to eat anything. And so here's what they, they say. Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they look at each other and they say, did he sneak a Big Mac in between services? Because I, I didn't see that. No, but listen, let's read on. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what's so cool? Every week, some people don't know this, there are people that show up here at 6 a.m. just to turn the lights on, just to make sure the room looks clean so that as people walk through the building, we're, we're making an impression on our guests also, we can tell them about Jesus. There are people that come here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they are serving and, and running vacuums in dark rooms where no one will ever see them or applaud them. And you know what? Some people would say, how are you doing that? And they're saying, don't you ever get tired? And look, there's a lot of good things we can fill our time with, and there's nothing wrong with them. There's a lot of people that they spend a lot of time in sports and you know, they're, they're investing in their business, they're investing in their relationships, and they say, you know what, no, 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 I, I would never have time for that. But you know what's so cool? There are business owners here. There are people that are entrepreneurs. There are people that are so intelligent, and they have all the opportunities in the world to go do other things, but they want to build the church that Jesus is building. And, and people might ask them, hey, why do you do that? And, and here's what they don't understand. The very thing that people would think would deplete them, that's the very thing that completes them. And the very thing that they think would take away from their energy, that's the thing that gives them the most energy. That's the thing that refuels them. And you know what they say? Oh, no, I have food you don't know of. It's to finish the work that my father gave me. And so listen, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to just take a moment at the end of this series, at the end of this message and I just want to give you an opportunity to examine where you are in that picture. You know, I thought about structuring the message this way. I thought about saying this, that the church needs you and you need the church. But the more I thought about that, you know what? I feel like God just pointed out that's not entirely biblical. Yeah, you need the church, but I don't know that the church needs us the way we like to think that it does. Because, listen, I believe this with all my heart. We can't stop a move of God. We can only choose not to participate. We can't stop what God wants to do in the world. If there are Christians, and believe me, there are in this church, praying for God's will to be done and his kingdom to come, there will always be people that God sends to make that vision happen. If there's vision, God sends provision every time. And so here's what I would hope and pray for every person watching, for every person in the seats, for every person within the sound of my voice, that if you haven't, begun to participate, if you haven't begun to become a part of the move of God that's happening here or in a church somewhere, can I just say, just find a church somewhere. We haven't cornered the market on Christianity, and we don't plan on it, and we believe in different strokes for different folks, and there's all kinds of different churches for different people, but find one. Plant in the soil. Let it cultivate your calling. Let God do something incredible in you and through you. If you believe that and you want to commit yourself to that, just listen with me and agree with me in your heart. Dear God, we thank you for every person that's here, for the call of God that is on each of their lives and collectively what we are called to do, to see a city connected with God and far beyond that here at Believer's Church. We thank you this is good ground. 
We thank you for our pastors, for what they have sowed in blood and sweat and toil and tears. And we thank you for the leaders of our groups and our volunteer ministries and for our connect group leaders. We thank you for all the people that are speaking into all of our lives. And we pray a prayer of covering over them. We, we cover them with your prayer. We cover them with your grace. We pray that this would be the most fruitful years of their life. We thank you that you're at work in their life in an amazing way. We ask you to have your way in Jesus' name. Now, if there are some people here that maybe you're interested in this whole thing called the church, but you've never heard anybody lay it out for you, let me just say this one thing. Jesus loved you so much that he came and lived a perfect life because he knew you never could. And there are things that you could do that are great, like being water baptized or attending a church every week for the rest of your life, but in and of themselves, they won't get you to heaven. Jesus made this really big statement. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so if that's you today, and you, you can't remember a moment where you said, hey, Jesus, you're the way. You're my Lord. I, I might not be perfect, but I want to I want to begin that journey. Then this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If, you're, if you've already made that decision, I know many of you here have done that. I want you to help me pray this prayer. Let's pray this together. Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he did for me on the cross. I give my life to him. I ask you to become my Lord. Show me where to go. Show me what to do. Give me the strength to do it. I need you. And I want to know you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believers Church, visit believers.cc.